Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. I'm really, really excited because I've been waiting a long time to have this special guest on. And we've met, um, we did meet, yes, at ISTE. And I think that was a couple of years ago. But yeah. I have been following Valerie Lewis for a while. And then I found out through uh, Margaret Atkinson about Pass the Scope EDU. And I finally took the plunge about a year and a half or so ago. And so I'm part of that community, which is a wonderful community. And I can't wait to talk to Valerie about all of that. Welcome, Valerie. Thank you, Eileen. So good to see you virtually. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you. So I didn't really say too much about what you're doing, what you're up to, uh, what you're passionate about. Tell us a little bit more about you. So I am Valerie Lewis. I've been in education now for 20 years um, in the classroom, have experiences at the elementary level as well as the high school level. In the past three years, I've actually taken on a new role in administration where I support teachers um, in special education, which is where my background lies as well, special education and language arts. And so I'm just really passionate about innovation in teaching, um, focusing more so on student-centered learning and doing things that have, that are centered around student interests. And so any type of programs or innovations around that to think outside of the box or go beyond the classroom and involve the community are things that I truly, truly, truly um, want to see amplified in education or expanded upon a little bit more. I feel that we function sometimes in a silo and we figure that we have all the answers amongst us or amongst ourselves, but we truly know that educating the whole child truly takes a whole village. And that village is not just a village of educators, but it involves the parents, it involves business leaders, community leaders, um, those that are impacting policies in our neighborhoods and communities. Communities. And so that is what I would truly love to see where that door of the school buildings is open to all the people that truly impact students as a whole. Yeah, that's wonderful. That whole idea of community. And I can just imagine what the climate and the culture is in your school. So we'll definitely be talking about that uh, during our conversation. So the first question I usually ask my guests is, if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, when you say belonging, it's fitting in. Fitting in and fitting um, or feeling welcome. Because mm -hmm. when you belong, you know, it's not just you blending into a thing and not being seen, but it's also you feeling like you're a contributor. Um, you're making valid contributions and those contributions are um, appreciated and respected by the whole. And so that really gives you a sense of belonging. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I like the way you, you kind of put that together. It's 
fitting in, and a lot of times we think fitting in means you become part of that group, which means you accommodate yourself to that group, but you were very careful to say, no, that's not what you mean by fitting in. Fitting in is making sure that you're, you're appreciated and that, you know, you're part of that greater group, but that they also appreciate you. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's important. That is truly important. A lot of times, you know, I think just naturally as humans, we tend to take a back seat. Um, you know, we bow out because we feel like it's the respectable thing to do. Right. Um, we dim our lights, um, so to speak. And, and a lot of times your perspective is so valid and it needs to be seen or heard. And, and oftentimes that one little contribution or that one comment that you make could be a game changer. It could be the unseen puzzle piece that makes this whole thing work a little bit more smoothly. And so we have to be careful to know the right times when to step back, but also knowing the right times to say it's okay for me to to amplify my voice and um and be sure that my perspective is heard. Right. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. It wasn't necessarily going to be my first question, but I am going to talk about it now because I think it's really important. In light of everything that's been happening, I know that you are someone who feels that there are times when you need to speak out. And especially with current events and things that have been happening with the pandemic, with the Black Lives Movement and so forth. You were a guest on Courageous Conversations in EdTech with Melody McAllister, Victoria Thompson and me. And so describe a little bit about that, about the when you feel that it's important to amplify your voice in terms of specific issues, whether it's at, on your job or in, in you know, community setting, uh, with your friends, family? Absolutely. You know, when it, when it gets uncomfortable, that's your conscience, I think, that's telling you it's time to say something, it's time to do something. Now, how you say it and how you do it is the next important factor. So when, when, when you, you know, you just know, you have that gut feeling that something's not right. I should be saying something in this moment. But like you said, then it takes that courageous move. Um, say, am I going to open up my mouth mm -hmm. at this point? Or how do I find an entry point to interject myself? Um, because we also know that uh, sometimes your voice may not be welcome. Um, it may be punitive to say something, especially when you're going against traditional norms. Um, and so when this becomes your livelihood, um, it may make you a little bit more hesitant to speak up. But when you know the right time is now, sometimes you have to align yourself with other people that may share that similar thought. And there's power in numbers sometimes, but then- sure. Sometimes you may not find that tribe and you may have to be the lone ranger, so to speak, to speak out. And so when you feel uncomfortable, there's a shift and there's a tide that's happening. That may be your key that it is time. And then when you recognize it is time, how you deliver that message is going to be equally important because people may not be in that same thought pattern with you. Right. Um, and so you have to meet them where they are. And sometimes you have to be patient with them. 
Um, you may have to coddle them a little bit. Sometimes going in too hard and too abrupt may shut the whole operation down. And then you make no headway or leeway anyways. So just knowing how to deliver it and being patient and knowing that your approach needs to be calculated and strategic is going to be your next important move as well. Right. Yeah. And in terms of, of your job, can you, I don't know if you have any examples, but I imagine that you also need to advocate um, for uh, your students, obviously, um, especially the students that could possibly be marginalized for whatever the reason, uh, special needs students or students that are, are different in terms of learning or, or whatever. Can you think of an example of a time when you spoke out or just give us an idea of how you use that in your day-to-day job in order to support the kind of initiatives that you feel are really important to move forward? Absolutely. So when we talk about students with special needs, um, oftentimes it becomes a pity party. Um, You know, woe to those students. The expectations and the learning standards are oftentimes lowered because people are often too focused or hyper-focused on what they feel are inabilities versus highlighting their abilities. And so a lot of times you have to kind of speak up even for teachers to say, listen, do not lower the bar. Yes, you might be able to um, modify some things or accommodate students, which is different than modifying. Um, you accommodate them to make sure that they can have access to the curriculum, but don't dumb it down. Don't water it down, especially when we're talking about students that are working towards the same college prep, high school prep diploma. And so oftentimes I've had to correct teachers within department chair meetings when they say, oh, well, you know, we just need to make a totally different version of the test for these students. And I'm like, well, why? Why make a totally different version of the test? Should they not be expected to Mm -hmm. have the same depth of knowledge? Should they not be expected to think as critically as everyone? So instead of, you know, dumbing it down for them, why don't we find more effective strategies and ways to teach them to make sure that they also can perform like their peers? And so those are some examples that just to, to train people differently. Um, we've also run a program that focuses on the students' abilities more than their inabilities. And this was not specifically targeted for students with uh, learning disabilities, but it was focused on students that were just interested in entertainment related careers. Mm -hmm. And what we came to find was a fourth of the students that registered for the program were students that were special needs students. And you really wouldn't know that they were because they were the highest performing of those students. Meaning they possess, if you had a scale to measure, the most creativity. And so you wouldn't know that these students were on the autism spectrum or that they had learning disabilities in reading and mathematics. And so what that showed me was a lot of times when we just hyper-focus on the academics and we don't focus on just what the abilities of students are and then meet them there, we are missing an opportunity, a great opportunity to have an impact. And so reminding teachers that you must focus on 
building the relationship with the students, which I know is cliche, we say it all the time, but really knowing what students are interested in and then building the academic knowledge and skills sometimes around those interests, we can really get students motivated. We can really um, speak to their pain points mm -hmm. and then we can really help them to grow and meet where we need them to um where we want them to be able to function and prepare them for life after the classroom. Right, yeah, the concentrating on the strengths to bring up the areas that need improvement. And rather than looking at the, the deficits, which That's you, you uh, put so eloquently, it was, it's really, really important to focus on that. And we could talk in, in terms of English language learners and many other types of students who come into our, our classrooms in terms Absolutely. of not looking at the deficits, but really getting to know our students well, so we can use those things that even their interests in order to have them move forward in terms of the content. So yeah, yeah I'm that so glad that you brought up the English language learners because a lot of times, you know, and it goes back to a point that you made earlier, mm -hmm. a lot of times we feel like we have to assimilate into a culture and them assimilating into a culture that is not their native language, not their native um, home, we as Americans or the U.S. society may look at that as a deficit. Oh, they have to learn English and they don't speak English yet, as opposed to highlighting them being able to speak a different language as a strength and a beautiful thing and how they can be able to use that maybe as a skill later on to be a translator, to be an interpreter and how that is a contributing factor. And so, you know, just, oh, they don't speak English yet and oh, speak English and making them feel like their native language, there's like this curse or something wrong with them speaking this. So that's something that I think we also have to change. It's a beautiful thing that they speak another language and then learning our language is just icing on the cake. It's not what the standard should be. Right. And, and looking at that um, and making sure that the students are aware of the fact that that's an advantage because often that deficit of not being able to explain themselves in the language or understand the questions, they feel uh, at a loss. And it's, you know, it's th that weakness that really makes them feel like failures. Whereas if we're emphasizing the fact that the, uh, as you said, the language is in the additional language is an advantage, then that of course gives them the confidence to say, yes, I know. And I used to tell teachers here in Kuwait, if you think about it, this, if you ask the same question in that child's mother tongue, native language, they would probably be able to answer it. But what you're dealing with is them not being able to put the words together or the grammar together in order to be able to, you know, produce. And so it's not as if, you know, that's why you were saying about the dumbing down. Often language learners, uh, special needs students, it's just waiting for them or giving them the way in order for them to be able to, to produce what we're asking them to produce. But maybe they know the content, they're just not able to produce it in the normal manner that we're asking everybody else to. So yeah, so that's so important. Valerie, it's obvious from all the things that you're saying that the climate in your school that you create is very inclusive. 
And so I'd, I'd love to know in terms of um, with your teachers and with the students, what are some of the things that you do in order to create that sense of belonging in your school? So when people walk in the door of the school, they know right away that they feel welcome. Absolutely. And so, you know, and, and no school is without fault. So, you know, we aren't the poster board for inclusivity. There are areas and, and pain points that we still have. Sure. And there there's a lot of learning and growth that still needs to happen. But I think the idea of being intentional and getting people to reflect on their practices is one that we have to be conscientious, especially as leaders, to do. Are we including? Did we consider? Are we looking at the curriculum that we um, are manifesting into our classroom and our students? Are we giving our students agency and an opportunity to bring in things that they want to see, books that they want to read, or topics that they want to talk about? Or are we so steadfast on a pacing guide or a curriculum that we don't make the time to just hear our students. And so when you think about that, you know, the celebrations that happen at the school um, from the literature and the communication, the website, is it accessible to everyone? Do parents that speak a different language, can they access the materials in their native language? Um, those that are deaf and hard of hearing or blind, you know, is there that, that feature for them to be able to say, I also have access. Someone considered me and what might be a barrier for me. And then, of course, when you're talking about teachers, you know, are we reflective in our hiring practices? You know, mm -hmm. can students look around the building and see people that look like them? You know, do our athletes have African-American males that they can look to as well that they know would understand more firsthand some of the experiences and not to say that it excludes and leave everyone else out but there's just something to be able to look up and see someone that looks like you and know what's also possible and then just knowing that I may have an avenue of an adult that I might be able to speak to and so those are things that I think are just critical to be able to say are we hiring because we're hiring our friends? Are we hiring because these are people that we know and so we continue to perpetuate that same cycle? Or are we hiring because we're intentional about what we want for kids, the outcomes? You know, are we being reflective? Are, you know, our population and our demographics reflective? Are we looking at trends and patterns from the, the past five years? You know, we have a, a growing um, Esau population five years ago. <clears throat> Not so much. And now you're talking about 12, 13% of the school population. And so how is that reflective? You know, how is our course curriculum reflective of that mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, books that we have in the media center and our classroom libraries? And so I think those are things that not just for our building, but buildings all across the land we need to do. And during this time of pandemic, you know, our our district particularly um, made national news um, several times. And so one of those things were students speaking out for a curriculum that would be more reflective and more culturally responsive. And so I have the pleasure of being able to sit on that committee where we are doing a critical literacy curriculum that's not just multicultural, just to say, oh, kids are reading books by diverse authors, but that key word is critical literacy. Can they dissect 
the standpoints and the viewpoints of the authors. Why did they write this way? Who was the audience they were targeting? What was the outcome? What biases um, were, do we find in the, the literature? And then not only just looking at that, but what do we plan on doing with that information now? What action does it call us to? And so this is truly um, a curriculum that is bringing a lot of happy hearts work to us, but we understand that there is going to be some pushback and it's something that hasn't been done before, but I'm proud to be able to sit on a committee and a board that is going to bring something that we're going to start piloting in January and then do a full rollout next school year um, to the entire district. And so that should be a game changer in itself. That's really awesome, Valerie, to hear that and to, to know that you've been able to use your voice so that you can make a difference and a change that will be uh, fairly immediate. And, and it's so important. I, I like the fact that you said that it's not something that's just token, just because we, we say we're doing it, um, we're going to put it out there, but we haven't really taken that critical look at it to see, is it really something that makes a difference or is it just something that's so superficial? People passing by will say, oh, you're doing a great job, but it really isn't that deep. And so it, it's right. not something that's sustainable. Uh, I really love that. You also talked uh, a little bit at, toward the beginning about the, the you know, the, the need for, um, uh, I asked you about inclusivity, the need to make sure that you have things that make the, the, uh, the curriculum, uh, what's happening in the school available to all the stakeholders. So everybody, including parents and students and teachers, administrators. So what are some of the kind of tools that you recommend or that you're using uh, or that you have offered the, to the teachers uh, in the school in order to make sure that the curriculum, the newsletters, the whatever's happening in the school is accessible to everybody? So in terms of tools, um, you know, in education, we're good for protocols. Um, so, you know, when we talk about the National School Reform website, that right. is one that you can always go to when you're, when you're intentional about your purpose. And so that is one that we use a lot. Um, and then from that, just taking a look, a deeper dive at data, when we look at the ATLAS protocol, that ATLAS protocol tells us a lot about how students are performing and the outcomes and why, asking yourself why, so the five whys, why is that happening? And so when you have to come up with an answer as to why only this demographic of students is performing in a distinguished distinguished category versus why majority of the ESOL special ed or minority students are performing in the beginning to developing. That takes the onus off of the students and then it right. puts it back on us as the educators and the leaders right. because I think a lot of times we can easily come up with the excuses of oh it's the kids they don't want to do it they're not motivated they they you know have their cameras off they're unengaged and so that becomes an easy scapegoat but right. looking at those protocols really are the tools that are our go-tos to make us say 
the why, that five whys protocol, analyzing our data, um, looking at longitudinal data and saying, hmm, why is it that we're performing like this? Why is this a trend? Why aren't we here instead? And then so that um, PLC group having those critical conversations sometimes right. um, is, is another thing, you know, sometimes those are hard conversations to have because, you know, teachers, you know, they go in generally doing the right work and they want to do the right work. And they don't oftentimes look at themselves as I might be part of the barrier. And so having those courageous conversations, as you say, to be able to be reflective is going to be a critical tool belt. And I think in education, we all need that. Just the tool of reflection. What went well? What can I do better? You know, giving yourself a SWOT analysis. Where do my strengths lie? Where are opportunities? Um, Where did I leave a missed opportunity on the table is just something that we should always be doing because that's where our growth lies. There lies the growth. Right. Absolutely. I'm I'm taking notes because I want to make sure to include some references for everybody in the show notes for all the things that you've been talking about because because I think it's really, really important for people to be able to know and understand and see the kinds of things that you're talking about, taking that step back to reflect, but having the information and the data to be able to back up and sort of analyze exactly what you're talking about and taking a deeper look and a deeper dive into all of that. And through protocols, which I think are really important, that's why I love the school reform initiative, is having those protocols set up so that you're not sitting and wasting time during a staff meeting or during a a PD session. You're actually got that protocol set up so that everybody knows what role they're playing and it's a productive session. So I'll definitely include all of those in, in the show notes. Um, Correct. And just knowing that you have to mm-hmm. lean on each other because education is collaborative. Yes. And just knowing that the answer doesn't lie just with you or with right. you or just what's on black and white in the paper, right. but being able to say, let me do some classroom observations. Even mm-hmm. if I am a seasoned teacher, there's something to learn from the brand new teacher coming out of the gate. A lot of times they are yes. overlooked as, oh, they're new teachers and they don't know what they're doing. But there are some research-based practices and some of Mm -hmm. the most current tools that they bring to the classroom that some of the most veteran teachers could learn from as well. And so I think once we keep an open mind to know that that person next door to my left, to my right, across the hall has something to offer. And maybe even the person that's not in my department, when you're talking about the high school, there's Mm -hmm. something to be said about cross-curricular as well. If I'm a language arts teacher, how might I be able to embed social studies, art, science, math concepts into my classroom so that kids can see that learning is cohesive and it's not compartmentalized. Because I think that's where that critical piece comes in. That's where we get the broader view and it doesn't become just rote memory and regurgitation. When kids see how things work together cohesively, the understanding, I think the retention um, goes a far more deeper than just a recall of vocabulary words, facts, concepts, and calculation. Absolutely. And the, you know, the whole idea of collaboration and encouraging that because, you know, we're often siloed in our classrooms. And so having that culture of collaboration 
within the building with peer observations, with people coming in and out of classrooms, with the, you know, sort of intercurricular types of, uh, of projects and studies and things like that are so, so very important. And as you said, they're an example, they're a model for our students that those kinds of things happen and we don't learn in isolation. It isn't just math or science or English, that all of those pieces, all of those subjects go together. And sometimes we get so focused on our subject, especially at the middle school and high school levels, we don't realize that the students begin to think of it as just English or just uh, social studies. And again, That's if you're correct. talking about student interest and trying to sort of pull them into understanding the content, if they're need improvement in one area, like the English language students, but they're, they're good in science or interested in science or math or other subjects, then that really pulls them in. So, so that's all so, so important. Um, I really want to spend a little bit of time talk past the scope EDU, because that's been such an important part of my life uh, the last you know, year and a half or two years. And I know that's something that you have put a lot of heart and soul into. So tell us a little bit about the background for our listeners who don't know anything about Pestoscope EDU, how it got started, and what your goals you hoped would be and what it's become, uh, because I think it's been five years. This April, April 21 will be five years. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So tell us a little bit about Pestoscope EDU and, and then uh, after that, how people can get involved if they want to. Absolutely. So five educators came together and we all met through EduMatch, which we know that is Sarah Thomas's um, brainchild. And so just through a conversation we were having about, you know, wouldn't it be neat if people could see just even the other side of who we are as people and individuals and not just teachers or education, that we are also people that are interested in cooking and art and design. And so that was the intention that people would see this other side of us, photography, um, the love for drawing. And so what it evolved into was simply just being able to amplify the voices and stories of educators all across the globe. And so it was important to keep the community going and alive because it goes back to the concept that you mentioned, people having a place to belong, not just to fit in, not just to blend in, but that they knew that what they contributed wasn't wrong. It wasn't a wrong concept. And so what we did was then decided if we could have a collective hashtag every month, then everyone could showcase it in their own way. And so when I think back to some of our earlier days, we were putting on skits. Um, oh, really? Oh, I <laughs> oh yeah. Know that. We, wow. we were putting on <laughs> skits. We were coming on with the men in black. Thing. I mean, we were really going awesome. all out from the, the beginning um, stages of it. I could think about Stacey Lovedall. She would have these 
visuals that she would create by hand to tie in. I mean, it was a full production. And then I think we all, we all said after a while, okay, this is, this is really taking a lot. I remember one of the scopes, I was in my backyard, I think on an inflatable beach chair. And (laughs) I mean, my kids, (laughs) my kids used to be a part of the scopes coming Uh, in. I mean, so it it truly was a production, but we all were able to present the hashtag in our own way. Um, you know, based on our love. And so I'm just very proud to see where the community is today and where it has grown. Obviously, we've had members come in and mm-hmm. out um, from, you know, going from 100 members to maybe 20 active members. And that's okay, because, you know, one thing that I always want people to understand is, it's not a pressure to show up and be committed because life happens and Mm -hmm. we have to be real and understanding that, um, the human side of us, um, we, you know, we just have to, we have to be understanding of that. There's no judgment in it. And so when we come together, whoever is able to be there, then they're there, you know, the light and the door is always on and welcome. And just to be able to hear everyone's perspective where some people may scope from, three minutes all the way up to the 15 minute mark, whatever they have to say is there's a lesson to be learned in it all. And it doesn't have to be that it takes you 15 minutes to get your point across, but some people really take that time to unpack the message that they want to share and that's okay. And some people are able to just deliver it in that three minutes and it's just as impactful. And so, you know, just to be able to hear from educators across the globe, from different backgrounds, um, different religions, ethnicities, different regions of the country, we find that there's a common theme within our experiences, regardless of the hashtag of that month. And that's the beauty in it all. And so we're just proud of the community. And to, like you said, to be able to be going on five years in April is a testament because we've seen communities come and mm-hmm. go and die Absolutely. out. Yeah. Um, but this is one that we hope will stay. Well, we're we're working on our rebranding um, because we know in five years things have definitely changed and are changing in the edtech community. And as you know, Periscope itself will be going away in 2021. Yes, yes we were you rather know. sad about that, but I I see that many people, including myself, are now trying different modes uh, like Streamyard yep. and some of the others, which is really really cool. Stepping up our game and learning yep. something new. So that's I'm excited it. for that, right? Absolutely. And then, you know, and, that, and that's the beauty of it all is to recognize that the power of the community is not what the platform is. Right. The platform is not our power. So true. Our power is in the message and where we go and what we do and how we deliver that message is the thing that we don't need to die down. Periscope will be here today, gone tomorrow. Twitter may be here today and gone tomorrow. Facebook may be here today and gone tomorrow, but the power that lies within you is what should never be extinguished. And that's what we want people to understand. We're not the platform. We are people, we are educators, we have a message, and that's what we're going to amplify by any means necessary. Absolutely. So if uh, I'm listening and I don't know how to get involved, what's the best way to find out more about uh, Passoscope EDU? 
So definitely, if you type in that hashtag, pass the scope, and remember, there's going to be two E's. There's the E at the end of the word scope and then the EDU. If you follow that hashtag, you'll be able to see a lot of what has gone on for the past couple of months. Mm -hmm. Voxer is a great way to connect as well because you get to engage and interact um, with the human voice um, there. But if you follow the hashtag Pastoscope EDU and just say, hey, I want to get involved. How do I connect? You can. And then we also have our website, www.pastoscopeedu.com. And on that, you'll see where you can sign up for the um, monthly scope that we have on the spreadsheet. And it's just as simple as finding a time slot that works for you, that works best for you and assigning yourself to that time slot. And then we also have where the hashtag is each month that we vote on. Um, and that way you can kind of give your contribution for a hashtag. And the hashtags are just a clever wordplay. Um, right. January has always been the one word because we know in the education community, it's always the one word thing. So for January, it's always gonna be the one word theme. But come February, you can play on the theme of love. You can play on the theme of Black History Month or inclusivity, um, whatever that hashtag is. And then the community will vote on the hashtags that they like the best. And then one with the most votes becomes the hashtag that we all interpret in our own clever way. So yeah. follow us on Twitter, that hashtag, sign up on the um, website through the spreadsheet or if you're on Voxer just find us there on Voxer or just tell us hey I want to be a part and we'll find a way to bring you into the fold. Yeah and the scope is usually the third Thursday of the month? That is correct every third Thursday of the month and we you know for the first time in our four-year history I think during this pandemic we took some time off. Uh, right. We had never missed a month, whether that there were 15, 20, 50 people, or just five that were mm -hmm. scoped. We would never miss a month. And so 2020 has definitely been a year where we recognized we needed some time off. And so I think we took maybe two or three mm -hmm. months off during this pandemic. But um, every month, someone's going to be present to show up. Yeah. So yes, every third Thursday of the month is when we go live from sunup to sundown, according to who's signed up on that spreadsheet. And you right. simply pass the scope to the next person um, that, that they're, um, that's on the spreadsheet coming immediately behind you, or maybe they're coming an hour or two after you. You simply announce who's coming up after you, and that's the figurative passing the scope. That's really awesome. And it, it is such, I mean, if you're talking about belonging, it's such a welcoming community. And we've had some really amazing scopes over the last year and a half that I've you know, been watching and even before, before I actually started participating, uh, people being vulnerable, talking about things that really affected them personally and professionally. And it's, it's really an amazing group. So I, I definitely encourage people to get involved. And even if you don't feel comfortable initially about uh, joining in and, and actually scoping, then definitely watch us and, and retweet us and, and all of that. So Val, it's just been uh, wonderful. I wish it could go on and on and on. Uh, 
but we are coming to the end. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, tell our listeners or any other advice that you wanted to give them before we wrap up? Absolutely. I guess in, in terms of Pass the Scope EDU, we are majority educators, but it's not limited to educators. So if you are in the business world and you have a story, because we talked about that cross-curricular and learning is cohesive, it's sure. not compartmentalized, there are things that we can learn from each other. So it is open to anyone in any industry to come and join and share your perspective on that hashtag. And so you know, learning is continuous and that's what we want to do. It is ignite a passion for learning. Um, and so just find a learning opportunity in each and everything that you do. Find something new to learn and grow. Find a group that you can belong to, not just fit in, but also be able to bring your perspective and your contributions to that community as well and continue to do that. And, um, if no one invites you to the table, then build your own table and others will come and they will join. And um, just know that your voice matters in all things. Find the right time to speak up and speak out and just be cognizant of those that you're speaking to and how that message is being delivered and just move the needle, move the needle forward. That's terrific advice. Thank you so much, Val. If people want to hop off and find you right away, uh, where should they go or where should they look for you? And uh, of course, I'll include that in the show notes, but in case they want to find you uh, right after they listen to the podcast. Absolutely. You can find me on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at I am V Lewis. That is the letter I am the letter V for Valerie and Lewis. L-E-W-I-S. So I am V. Lewis on all social media platforms. That's terrific. Thanks again, Val. I, I really, really, really appreciate your taking the time. And it's been a wonderful conversation. I've learned so much from you today. Yes. And thank you, Eileen, for the good work that you're doing. I'm so glad that our paths have crossed and what you're doing for educators and the education community out in Kuwait. Um, we wish you continued blessings. You know, we, we are learning so much from you and just glad to have you and the work that you're doing through your podcast and, and the sense of belonging. So thank you and continue the great work. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys number two belonging, dot webstarts.com. See you next week.